are no longer slaves to sin. That is the beautiful outflow of the gospel. Hey, thanks for joining us here at the church at Suncoast. Take your Bibles and let's get into God's Word. One of my favorite writers, and I always have to pause at this point to say he never really wrote a word uh, that we read. His wife, Biddy, wrote all that he spoke was Oswald Chambers. He was a preacher that lived around the turn of the last century, died at a young age in his 30s, but gave us some incredible truths. Uh, We are in Psalms 1 this morning, and I'm going to read a little bit of Oswald Chambers' introductory notes and thoughts to Psalm 120 through 126, which he labels the Pilgrim's Song. These were a set of, by the way, the Psalms was the songbook of the Jews. They sang these things. And this set of of Psalms, 120 through 126, although we'll be in Psalm 1 this morning, were, were called the Songs of the Ascent. And what that means is as they traveled up to Jerusalem by yearly to worship at the big Passover festival, they ascended up to the Temple Mount and sang Psalm 120 through 126. These are Oswald Chambers' thoughts on the introduction to this set of psalms. These psalms express not the outward, but the inward condition of the children of God when they realize that they are pilgrims. We do not immediately realize that we are pilgrims. When a child is born into this world, it is welcomed, and for a time it feels perfectly happy and at home. Neither when we are born again do we realize at once that we are pilgrims. Rather, we feel even more at home on the earth than ever. We have come into contact with the creator of all. And then he quotes a famous line out of a poem that says, by George Robinson, heaven above is brighter blue, earth around a sweeter green, meaning after we come to Christ. But as we go on, this sense of at-homeness disappears. And ultimately we realize a deep alienation to all that the world represents. And we recognize that we are strangers and pilgrims on this earth, that here we have no continuing city. This world is no longer our home. We're just a passing through, as the old hymn writer writes. That mood is represented, Chambers says in these Psalms. God seems to delight to stir up our nests. It is not the devil who does it. It is God who brings about a dissatisfaction with this world that we live in. This is curiously unrecognized on our part. Peace of this world can never be the peace of God. The peace of physical health, of mental healthy-mindedness, of prosperous circumstances, of civilization itself is not one of the not one of these is the peace of God. Good words by Chambers. I think we are all, as we grow older and further on into the society and world in which we live, I, for one, am becoming more disengaged with this world, less interested in the direction. 
and more interested with heavenly things and the coming kingdom of Jesus Christ. Uh, The term brainwashing was introduced by an author in 1950 as he wrote a book entitled Brainwashing. He wrote it as a result of the study of American soldiers who came back from China. They'd been arrested and through Chinese brainwashing, they actually admitted to releasing dangerous weapons up in North Korea. So they studied these men and this man man wrote a book called Brainwashing. One of the first things he says in order to brainwash someone is to cause them to to reject their true identity. That's what this world does. The fascinating thing about brainwashing is you don't hardly know it till it's almost done. If you're able to pull yourself back from it and go, wait a minute, that's, that's not who I ever said I was. Some folks never pull back. This world, in every direction, seeks to brainwash the believer into pulling us away of who we really are and whom we belong to. Psalm chapter 1 is an incredible psalm. It is short, it is punchy, it is powerful, and in it, the psalmist describes a happy man. Look at it, if you will, in verse 1. Blessed. Blessed is a Hebrew word meaning it's an expression of enthusiasm. It isn't just like happy is the man. It's oh how happy. It implies a sense of joy that comes out. Blessed is the man. Notice who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, who by a conscious choice decides not to go against this, to actually go against this world's flow. So I would ask you, believer, I would ask myself, have we been brainwashed or attempted to by this world? Pull back and ask yourself, what's valuable to you? What do you delight in? What do you embrace? This says there's a choice not to go against. Now, you know what happens when you're going downstream, right? You're walking downstream and all's good. All you have to do is turn around. And what do you get? The flow against you. This psalmist says, blessed is the man who chooses not to walk in the counsel, in the advice, in the opinion of the wicked. Now, who are the wicked? Important to identify the wicked. It isn't the overtly sinful. It isn't isn't the jailbird. It isn't those who you might look and see, man, they are wicked. The wicked here is anyone who doesn't believe in Jesus Christ and his coming kingdom. Let that sink in. Many of the men we may admire and look to in this world, if they don't know Jesus Christ, the ultimate counsel they give us and the way they direct us to is not toward Jesus Christ. Believers through the centuries have been duped and and pulled into world leadership thinking this is the Messiah, this is the direction, this is the way we bring peace. And all of it ultimately always fails. Kingdoms come, kingdoms go. Countries, governments come, they go. All of them are directed by the wicked. Look at verse 1. Who walk not in the counsel of the wicked. Pull yourself back, believer, and ask yourself, what have I followed? Who have I followed? What counsel have I shouted amen to that is not the kingdom of God? 
My brother, I've told this story, I'll tell it quickly. My brother called me two weeks ago. My brother is not a believer, doesn't believe in Jesus Christ. He's a good man, he's a good friend to me now. It has always been so, but we're good friends now. But he doesn't believe in Jesus yet. And he asked me through all the turmoil that we're looking at in our world and our country, this is the question he asked, where is God in all of this? Great question. The one I've been waiting for for years and years. Where is God? And this is what I told my brother, briefly. I said, God is not in the business of, of country building. He's in the interest of kingdom building with his coming kingdom. He may use a country. He may use the kingdom of this world to advance the gospel if there's freedom there. But ultimately, his concern is the church of Jesus Christ and bringing people to Christ. That's it. We have, when we have an ounce of hope in this world, we have gone the way of the wicked. Look at the next one. It's progressive. We begin to walk in the counsel of people's... By the way, you know what an opinion is, right? You know what opinion is like, right? It, everybody's... It, it's like armpits. Everybody's got a couple of them and they all stink. That's what opinions are. C.S. Lewis was... C.S. Lewis was walking with an... He was a young man at the time. He was walking with an elder uncle of his. And as they walked through the English countryside... C.S. Lewis was spouting off all his opinions about things and that and that. And finally, the old uncle stopped him and said, said, asked him and said, do you have all the facts? Well, he looked at him and said, no, I have. Then you have no right to have an opinion until you know it all. Notice they walk in the counsel of the wicked. The next thing is, is this person become, begins to stand in the way of sinners Notice there's a walking in that direction and then there's fixed positions of standing and saying, this is what I believe. And these beliefs are drawn from the way of this world and there's a standing that goes on. Notice what happens. This standing, walking person begins to sit. A fixed position, a resting position, nor sits in the seat of the scoffer, the scornful. You see the progression. We walk according to what we hear, we begin to stand in that. And in this case, this person becomes critical of everything, scornful. Notice the traverse in verse 2. But his delight, the blessed man, notice, is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, or on his law, he meditates day and night. Now notice the word law. It's an important word for you to understand what it means. The word law in scripture can mean one of two things. It's the same exact word, but depending on the context, it means two different things, and I'll give you illustrations of it. Either it means the law as in the Ten Commandments, the law as in verses of instruction in order to obey, or it means a principle of life. I'll give you an example. The law of gravity. We trust in that law. It's what causes us on the top of the building not to step off. The law of aerodynamics. The law of physics. The law of mathematics. Two plus two equals four no matter where you are in the world. These are fixed positions. I'll give an example out of Romans when it talks about we are dead to the law of sin and death. 
That law of sin and death is a principle of sin and death. There's no verses Paul's talking about. In fact, in that seventh chapter of Romans, he interchanges going back and forth between the commandments, the Ten Commandments, and the principle of life. Goes back and forth. You have to watch the context. Notice in this context which one it goes to. Verse 2. His delight is in the law of the Lord. Now, we know that this is the second one for this. The first one, the Ten Commandments, brought delight to no one. Has it? Has obeying the verses and the Ten Commandments ever brought anything but frustration and failure? No. The more we get preached at of what we need to do, the meaner and uglier we get. Amen? Obedience to Scripture never brought blessing. Faith and belief in what God has done in us has. This is the second application of law where it says, this is the principle of life. Read into it that meaning, and it goes like this. But his delight is in the law of the Lord himself and the idea that the principle of life is what sustains me and brings me joy. It's not me obeying him. It's me bowing my knee and by faith walking in the knowledge that I'm already present in him. And he is present in me. And that life is real, not brought to me by obedience on my part, but am I simply believing that he's already there? His delight is in the fact that he knows by faith all the time that God is with him, through him, all over the place. He's not waiting for a feeling, he just knows. What is he like in verse 3? He is like a tree. He is like a tree. Don't you love that? He's not like a shrub, he's not like a flower, he's not like a perennial. He's not like the pansies that do well in the cold weather, but when the heat comes, they just, they just fall out. He's not like a shrub. He is like a tree. Think about that. I've got trees across the back of my property. Every morning when I go out there and look out, I check and make sure that every tree is where it was when I went to sleep. Do I do that? Of course. I know they're not moving. If they did, we've entered the twilight zone somehow that is stable trees are there year after year there was places in my childhood where I remember trees and I go back as an adult guess what they're still there this is a stable long-term roots in the ground in fact notice he's like a tree verse 3 planted by streams of water rivers of water I think the King James has it Notice plurality here. There's streams of water. The roots are going down. And they're going down in something that keeps them refreshed. Now think about that. What is the church? It is the happy group of believers that have broken themselves off from this world and are marching to Zion. We are those who when all the world falls apart, that's the beginning of our dance song. We, we don't cower at the wave. We dance on the way. Got that? Think about the early church. Think about the first century church. Think about the Caesars. Think about the government they were under. Think about the oppression they were under. Think about their lands being taken away. Their property being taken away. They were Jews when they came to Christ were most times cut off from their families. Yet they were the happiest group you can imagine. They exploded around the Mediterranean basin. Churches all over. They were joyful. Rome couldn't figure them out. The Greek couldn't figure them out. This world shouldn't be able to figure us out. We are happy, growing. We look forward to the chaos. 
kind of crazy looking at it that way, but that's, we're like a tree. And when the desert's all around us going dry, we begin to bear fruit, it says, in its season. And its leaf does not wither. Notice the wicked are not so. What are they like? They are like shaft that the wind drives away. The wicked have their day. They have their 15 minutes of glory or their years of glory, and then they're gone. And who remembers them? No one. You know what shaft is, right? It's, it's that dried part that falls off, and, and, and it's, it's no good. It lays, and when the wind blows, it just blows it away. Good for nothing. The wicked are like, verse 5, Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment. By the way, we will stand in the judgment because our sins have been judged on the cross of Jesus Christ. I'm going to tell you, come into the courtroom of God and there he is on the throne and we will stand in the blood and person of Jesus Christ. Have you ever met someone who's intimidating? Judges are intimidating in their courtroom, are they not? This is a judge that we will stand before as believers. You know Jesus Christ. We will stand in delight of the judge. They will not. They fear the judgment. We embrace the judgment of sin on Jesus Christ because it set us free. They will not. Let him, let him stomp around like banty roosters and crow to the sunset. When the sun sets, they're done. Fried chicken. Look at verse 5. Nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Verse 6. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous. God knows what he's doing. This is not our choosing our own way. This is God choosing our path for us. You catch that? The Lord knows what he's doing through you, Timmy. He knows what he wants to do. And he knows how to get you where he wants to get you to get done what he wants to get done. We don't have to figure that out as if there was some mystery behind a tree. He's going to do it. He's going to do it. He's doing it. He knows the way of the righteous. But in contrast, the way of the wicked shall perish. Wow. Credible psalm, is it not? So I wrap around to, to the beginning. Is this world our home? Absolutely not. We are pilgrims, but we need to be very careful in this world that we don't allow the, the teachings of this world, no matter how good they sound to us, to take our delight off the Lord alone, that we don't get brainwashed into a system on whichever side of the system is, is hollering and screaming. No brainwashing. Step back and think for yourselves. One of the things teachers and and Caleb and John and Karen and other teachers, they, their goal is for, in Brittany, their goal is for teachers, is for students to what? Think for themselves. Drill in on, on, the, on the tube, on, on, the, on the tablet in front of you. It's called a frontal lobotomy. I'm telling you, the society has quit thinking for themselves. We listen to someone, they tell us what to think, we think what they think, we think what they tell us to think, and we've stopped thinking for ourselves. Hardest thing to get a kid to do is think. I gotta quit before I get on my soapbox. Number one, the blessed man rejects this world. This world is, is not our home. We're just passing through. Our treasures have been laid up somewhere beyond the blue. Now, just because they're somewhere beyond the blue doesn't mean they're real and that they're coming and that's where our treasures are. What stirs your heart? What creates in you joy? 
It must be Jesus Christ. Number two, the blessed man is full of life because he knows the source of life. Anything that's growing must have source. Uh, Jonathan gave me some turnip greens. I'm real excited about the turnip. You can't, you can't find turnip greens in the store. Very rarely can you. And Jonathan gave me, Susan's husband gave me several nice bulbs. And I took them home. And they're hooked to that big, meaty turnip on the bottom, you know? So I set them on, on the thing, didn't have time to clean them. As long as those are hooked to that, that, to that bulb at the bottom, they'll stay pretty fresh for a while. But last night I got home and I chopped that bulb off. And I washed those greens. And I washed, and I washed, and I washed. Because the last thing you want in turnip greens is grit. And I'm just waiting for the moment I bite into them to see if I've washed enough. But as long as those leaves are hooked into that turnip bulb, it's got a chance. The source of our life is not religion, and it's not Christianity, and it's not a set of... It's Jesus Christ himself. He is the source of our souls and life. And as we imbibe him by faith and believe that he's always in us and through us, that it's no feeling we're waiting for. We have the knowledge of faith. The blessed man is full of life no matter what happens around us. It doesn't matter if we're hooked into the source of life. And lastly, the wicked fall and are ground to dust. The wicked fall. They have their day. They have their name. They have their faith. They have their moment in the sun. It's just a moment in the sun. What we have to look forward to us is eternity in the glory of the presence of Jesus Christ where his, his glory shines for all eternity. We'll never be dust. We'll always be in his presence shining forth with what he has done through us, telling his story through us. I love that song that talks about, you want to see my story? It's really his story. It's not our story. It's his story through us. And, and this life is just the beginning of that story. It's going to live on. Uh, we talked in the men's thing last night about a verse, the verse that says, he who is dead yet speaks. It's in Hebrews. It's talking about the hall of fame. I forget which patriarch it's talking about, but it says, He who is dead yet speaketh. Even though we pass through this life and there's a time we're not going to be here, our lives speak continually into the lives of the people we leave behind. But not only that, when we get to glory, God's story through us has just begun. This is, you know what we're living in? The prologue. That's what we're living in right now. The prologue. By the way, if you ever read a book, and there's a, and I hope you do, there's a book, there's a pro, don't skip the prologue. Everybody jumps to chapter one. Read the prologue. This is our prologue. Lord Jesus, we pause and thank you for Lorelai and her baptism and her faith in you. We thank you that we celebrate your work in her young life. We thank you for the work you're doing in all of our lives as a church family. We thank you that we have an altar to come to which is an altar of blessing and joy in your presence. Lord Jesus, we thank you that we can be counted and stand in the judgment, that we are of the assembly of the righteous because you have made us righteous in Jesus. We have the joy of your presence, the heartbeat of your heartbeat, every moment of every day. 
We thank you for the time that you return to this earth and we gather around you in a kingdom that will not fall apart, but one that will last for eternity. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you stand to your feet if you Hey, thanks for joining us today at the Church at Suncoast. We pray that the message was a blessing to you. If we can be of any help, don't hesitate to contact the church on our Facebook page or at suncoastjacks.org. If you are in the listening area, we'd love to have you attend any of our services. We hope you have a great day, and we'll see you next time. Hey, yes.